Hello, welcome to the 10th episode of the podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Stephen Stefano, a master character designer creating classics for animated series, comic books, and films that you've loved. Batman, Ren and Stimpy, Samurai Jack, and Looney Tunes, just to name a few. Stephen is joining me today to tell us about how he became a cartoonist, but he's also going to be giving some tips on how to create your own comic book character. So before we get into the thick of it then, Stephen, first off, I'd just like to ask, how are you doing? I know it's very hot over there in New York at the moment, like it is here in London, with summer finally showing its face at the end of August, start of September. How are you dealing with it? Um, it's, you know, it's it's like any typical New York summer. It's treating me very brutally. <laughs> um, it's been up and down. And I think last week when I, when we, we talked about this interview, uh, it was autumnal. It's not autumnal right now. It's infernal. Um, but I'm, I'm surviving like all us New Yorkers. I'm, I'm surviving well. Um, um, you know, I've got a, a few things on my plate. I'm busy, uh, which, you know, is enjoyable and, um, you know, uh, nerve wracking at the same time to get stuff done on time, but, uh, it's been a good week so far. Thank you for asking. No, no, of course it's, it is. It's one of those things I was saying to the lawyer, like summer when you're inside the city can be a little bit more unbearable um you know than it is than it is outside in more rural areas just because you're so stuck in all these buildings it's just quite hot and as you said it's quite humid in new york compared to probably quite a dry heat that that we have here fortunately so yeah (laughs) my my heart goes out to you (laughs) a friend that I, i i knew in comic books he once described he came from chicago which is not a very humid city but um he described new york city as uh, in New York, you know, we have the hot dog vendors and they have hot dogs that are in the, the you know, little containers in their carts that's full of what, you know, they t- it's, they boil, they're boiled in. And he's like, you know, if you took that water and poured it down your back, that's what like New York is Oof. in the summer. And <laughs> I'm like, well, that's, that's pretty accurate, but not in a bad way to me. I think that's kind of cool. But, you know, I'm, I, I'm biased. I come from New York, so. <laughs> well there you go there you go well let's yeah. let's start by let's start by talking about your work then um obviously anyone who will google you will go will pop up an imdb page or pop up a wikipedia page um and the list of credits you have to to projects is is phenomenal and so many iconic characters and everything as well now, I, I, when I spoke to you to start off with here, we were, we were talking about, you know, roots into into roles and stuff. And I'd said about how a lot of creative people um, that I've spoken with kind of fell into their position in a way they were they were pursuing one thing and ended up following a slightly different path and coming around to something else. And then they ended up where they were. Yeah. Um, but you told me that you'd actually always wanted to be a cartoonist, and this is something that you'd you'd wanted to do since you were since you were very young. So, yeah, what kind of just so we can get kind of an idea of where your mind was at at that young age? Because I think it's quite a rare thing to to know what you want to do when you're younger. Sort of how old yeah. were you when you started to establish this, and and where was your mind at at that point? Well, I you know I, I was before I could speak. I knew that I was going to be a cartoonist because, or before I can remember, let's put it that way. Yeah, because, yeah. because um, you know, I was always drawing. I was always getting attention for drawing. Um, my, you know, my older siblings encouraged me to draw. I could entertain them when I drew. Um, my oldest brother, who was probably my uh, biggest influence on my um, interest in animation and comics, uh, he, you know, he would get a kick out of every time I drew Charlie Brown or Snoopy uh, or something like that. My parents regarded it as a kind of a party trick. You know, they could 
pull out this three, four year old kid and he would draw for company, you know? Um, So it wasn't even just that I always knew it was that I was encouraged. I mean, I was, uh, you know, it was, it was sort of implanted upon me that, you know, this is Steven, he draws, you know? Um, And so um, it was just always a thing that I, that I had in my head of that. I was like, that's, that's, that, I guess that's my vocation. That sounds great. Cause I really enjoyed doing it. Um, so, um, yeah. And you know, my, my parents would always say, uh, I don't know. I can remember by the time I was five, 10 between those years, you know, they would say, you're going to work, work for Walt Disney someday. And uh, yeah. And, you know, I mean, um, when, when I got to work for Disney, it was like, it was, it was like, Oh, I guess I get, I did the thing I was, I was supposed to do. Um, that worked out. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. And, and I guess like ha- having that, that age and those, what you were saying there, you had established very early on that drawing wasn't just this expression. It was entertainment as well. Do you think that's what drove you to working in cartoons, comics and, and animation rather than becoming a more stereotypical sort of artist, say, with your drawings? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, I think it's simply because it was the thing that I was in. Um, I was noticed for. It was the thing that um, I liked uh, cartoons and comics and it was a thing um, that I don't know. It just it just became my form of self-expression, you know. Um, yeah, and I I think there is a sort sort of connection to the entertainment business there. Um, I was I was entertaining when I was very very young, but it just seemed like the perfect sort of self-expression to me. It, it was it was exactly the thing that I wanted to do. Uh, I did have some other. I don't know. You know, to me, it's like when you're an artist, you're an artist and you can do whatever you want, you know, yeah. and there's no time limits. So it's only right now I'm sort of experimenting with, like, you know, my, my girlfriend is a, is a fine artist and I watch her paint and I'm like, oh, what's, what's that like? You know, and I've always <laughs> wanted to um, I'm not painting. I'm not I can't. I can't abide by oils or, or anything like that, but I, I am, uh, you know, I, I do work digitally and I am experimenting with, you know, certain brushes and, and experimenting with my, my color sensibilities. And mm. I'm, you know, I'm like, Oh, I, I, last week I showed her an abstract Popeye that, <laughs> that I was working on. Um, Cause it seemed really important to me at the time. And she's like, Oh, that's nice. Um, Cause she, <laughs> she really, <laughs> she, I don't think she knew what to make of it and I don't know what to make of it either, but um yeah, it's to me, it's just all like self-expression and whatever I want to do at the time is is perfectly fine. And also, I think the thing about animation and comics is um, it, it really it, it covers so many areas. You know, it's it's about words, comics. It's mm. about so, it, you know, early on, I had an interest in writing and, and that's a perfect uh, way to express myself because I could draw and I could write at the same time. Um, you know, in animation, you think about timing, you think about, so in a, you know, in a large way, you're being a vaudevillian, uh, mm. you're trying to hit the joke, uh, correctly. And, and, you know, some of my, um, uh, biggest influences are, are the silent comedians. Um, so, you know, it, you, you just cover so many, so much ground when you're, uh, when you're, uh, a cartoonist, I yeah. think. Um, it's pretty great. Just going back to your, you, you were saying, obviously, your girlfriend there's a, a fine artist. 
when you when you're approaching your projects working digitally and you're looking at things like color and and the way that you're um composing a digital canvas do you find that there's a very distinctive difference between you doing that digitally and your girlfriend when she's working practically with physical materials and canvas yeah um you know i it's been so long since i've drawn on paper um with physical media i think the last time one of the last times i did i was uh, my girlfriend was teaching uh at a at a college in new jersey and she's like i'm i should teach them how to work with ink, but I don't, I don't know how really, I've never really worked mm. with a pen and a brush. And I said, well, I, I can teach you. I've done it thousands of times. Um, and she said, well, well, you just come in and just show them what you do. And I was like, yeah, sure. But at this point, you know, that was a couple few years ago and I, I hadn't worked in ink in like five, six, seven years. And when I, I started to do it, I was like, wow, I, it's not like riding a bike. I actually forgot what I'm doing. Wow, okay. I don't know what I'm doing. It was very strange. It was really alien because I'd really taught myself to ink confidently. Um, but the thing I would say, this, this strikes me every day that I work and every day that I work digitally is if, you know, if I screw something up, it's not in, you know, it's not final. Mm. Um, and I don't know how I existed that way. And even early on when I started working digitally, I understood that the basic, the best part of it is that it's a, it's an, an amazing compositional tool because, um, you know, when you're drawing traditionally, you're just doing sketch after sketch, after sketch, after sketch to get the composition that you want. And with this, all you when you work digitally, all you have to do is grab the, the uh, elements of the image that you like and push them and pull them and, and put them into place. Mm. And I can't believe I ever did it any other way. Now, there's uh, one of the last times I worked in pencil when um, my computers went down and, and any digital ability to draw went down. Uh, everything went kerflui. And I... Um, I had to get some models out. I was working on a Gendy Tartakovsky movie at the time. And so I started drawing on paper and I realized that there really was a difference between the drawings. There's something, uh, it might just be the tactility. It might just be the fact that you are working physically mm. in, in, in a physical medium that the characters felt to me a degree more solid, uh, strangely enough. So, um, so maybe I've learned a thing or two about drawing digitally. I don't know but it, it's it's good it's the way i feel most comfortable <laughs> yeah it's a that's a great answer actually um I, it's one thing that does interest me of artists that have potentially trained in one way and and developed over time and evolved into this new 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 way of drawing it's it always fascinates me so talking about your your goal you you knew you were going to be drawing you knew you were going to be working as a cartoonist and your parents knew you were going to be working for disney at some point when when you get to that point in schooling um, where you're really making those defined decisions to be like, this is how I start to to carve my path. Um, what what were you prioritizing? What were you, what subjects were you sort of prioritizing and doing? Obviously, art would have been one of them. Um, you know, when you were looking at schools to go to, when you were looking at uh, these different things that you might do outside of school, like, what where was your head at when you were focusing that? Yeah, um, actually, for for whatever reason, the, the first thing that comes to my mind was. Um, uh, studying literature was, was actually the most interesting thing to me. I was always fascinated, uh, by stories and storytelling and, 
um, that that felt like the thing that I connected to most in terms of schooling. I would say um, after that, probably um, teaching myself and having some classes in, but teaching myself about movies, cinema interested me tremendously. After that, because drawing was so integral to who I was and what I did, um, I did go, I went in Manhattan here, I went to the High School of Art and Design um, but I, because if, uh, everybody figured like, that's where I should go. Um, and I could, I could learn a thing or two and prep myself for college, but I didn't connect so well there. I guess I had an idea of, uh, myself already. And I, I did learn some things, but I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not taught well. Let's mm. put it that way. I'm a, I'm a strong learner, but I don't like to be taught. Okay. <laughs> if that's if that's a way to put it. And so I wasn't comfortable at the high school of art and design. And so I left after a year, and I went to my local high school where most of my friends were going. Um, and by that point, I was already drawing for DC Comics anyway, and so I was exercising my art. Um, and yeah, by the time I'd graduated high school. Um, or even before, really, when most other of when when most of my you know friends were choosing colleges, I decided that I didn't really want to go to college at mm. all. That I, I was already already drawing comic books, which is exactly what I wanted to do. And I'm you know I decided I wasn't uh, art school's not for me. I'm just not going to do it. I'm I'm I seem to be getting work as uh, as a comic book artist, and I'm going to pursue that. And, you know, I had the luxury of being 17 years old and, and living uh, in my parents' house and having a studio in the basement. Um, and so and my parents were very disappointed that I didn't go to college, but, um, but they couldn't deny that I was, you know, I was already practicing my craft. So it's like, well, what are we going to do? You know, right, so just... 17, you were already working for, for a very renowned comic book company. Yeah, I I started um, I started at DC Comics as a gopher, as um, a very bad office boy. I was terrible at it, but I <laughs> I was I was a summer intern and I worked there um, for for the summer when I was fifteen. The next summer when I was sixteen, and then by the time I was uh, seventeen, I was I was graduating and I'd pitched. Um, this idea for I actually pitched I think three ideas for comic books and one of them was was accepted um, so yeah but I and by that point I'd already been drawing gags uh, for DC for the back of their comic books mm-hmm. um, just one page gags uh, and um, starting to learn how to draw for comics and um, yeah so I was you know, that's what I wanted to do when I was doing it. So I didn't, uh, and, and particularly back then there was no, my friends and I always talk about this, my friends in the cartoon and comic book business, like there really wasn't school to go to, you know, right. to learn, to be a comic book artist. Hmm. Um, technically you should have, I should have gone to, uh, uh, a college and gotten a, a degree in illustration, but I, I just didn't have the patience or the interest for that kind of thing I'm, I'm a little sorry i didn't do it but I, I i did okay otherwise have you ever ended up guest lecturing at those sorts of those sorts of courses now 
Yeah, I have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you think um, it's, do yeah. you, how do you feel about it? Do you, are you like, wow, I wish I had this? Or do you feel like, you know, you, you get there eventually if, if that's what you really desire to do? Well, you know, I, I mean, I, I've taught uh, at the uh, School of Visual Arts here in New York, in New York City. Um, and I always told my students, um, you know, it's all about the work. It's always all about the work. Um, you know, you can, I can teach you, but it's not going to mean anything to you unless you practice, mm. unless you go to it every day and put your mind to it and say, you know, try and remember what I told you, but put it into, you know, put it on down on the paper or put it down on the, the tablet. Um, so, you know, I, like I said, I wasn't a great student. Um, but I love to learn and the way I learn is by doing experimenting and doing things by myself and looking at things. And sometimes I'll get advice. I'm not terrible at taking advice by any means. I just have to be taught in certain ways and there's, there's ways I can take things in. And so, you know, if I asked, uh, really accomplished friends, how they manage something, um, you know, I'd listen to it and then I, then I had to put it into practice. So it's always all about, um, yeah, uh, I mean, art, art is doing art, art is making. And if you're not making, you're not, you're not doing art. You know? yeah, yeah. So that's how I, that's how I learned. Um, uh, and that's how I can learn. That's, that's what worked best for me, I think. No, no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I'm someone who went off to, I went to an arts uni and um, I think that actually the, the most valuable things I learned there was storytelling. Um, obviously 12 principles when it was coming to animation, invaluable, but those are the sorts of things you can pick up in a book. Um, but yes, the storytelling was the, was the thing that I, I, I valued most that I was learning um, while I was at art school. It's, it's interesting you, you say uh, about storytelling actually and, and that being the, the thing that you may be connected with most. How, how much of that do you feel comes into working as a character designer? Obviously, you're working with things like silhouettes and, and your anatomy and structure of a character. When, when was it that you really started to make the link between the two, storytelling and how that influences that character's style and design? Well, um, I think the thing that comes to immediately to mind is, um, is acting, um, you know, the, the, the famous, um, comics artist, Will Eisner always said, you know, cartoonists are nothing but actors with pencils. And I think that's true. And, um, I think there's a certain element of caricature also to characters as designing. You have to know what to push and pull. And if you're going to draw uh, a shopkeeper, he should look like the shopkeeper, not just a mm. shopkeeper. I know some people are really, really good at that. I've never been as good as I'd like to be with that. But, um, you know, you, you picture in your head, you know, who is this character you're casting essentially. It's like, it's like, you know, you're a casting agent and you're looking for the exact right actor to take that part. Um, so you know what the story is. You have a picture in your head of who you want to represent that portion of the story. And, um, you know, you start to, uh, look at, you know, eight by tens and you, that guy's got a great nose, but it's too big. And, mm. you know, you start flipping through and looking for who you want to put in that role. Um, and also, you know, um, for the most part, character designers are, uh, 
people who work with very closely with their directors and directors often have very, very strong ideas about who, uh, what their characters should look like. Um, it, it varies with somebody like uh, Gendy Tartakovsky. Gendy has a strong idea about every single second of every frame that he's, you know, that's going into his films. So Gendy always gives me a sketch of even for sometimes the most minute thing. Um, and, um, and then there are other directors who don't, who don't give you that sketch. Uh, um, most, most, but, but for most main characters, they'll give you a sketch. Uh, of who they think is uh, they uh, they want to see, and if not, it's in the storyboard. There's always mm. you know you're always uh, I'm always working for. There are a lot of character designers. There's an East Coast West Coast way of uh, animating here in the states and um, character designing. And in New York, you would design the characters first, and then you would give it to the storyboard artist. And in the West Coast, you would do the storyboard first because you the the theory there is you, you let the story artist let his imagination run. He's, yeah. he's his or her imagination run there. You know, they're not, um, um, uh, they're not designing necessarily, but they are coming up with, uh, the way they think the character looks. And then, you know, you, uh, you give it to a character designing and the character designer finalizes the way, um, it looks. So there's, there's a lot of things that come to me before I actually cast the mm. role. Um, but, uh, but ultimately I am the final person who says, um, this is the costume. <laughs> this is, uh, uh, maybe not the color cause that that's not my job, but you know, this is, this is the size of his glasses. This is, you know, where her ponytail starts, th- that kind of thing. Um, so, um, but yeah, everything is in service to the story, <clears throat> you know, uh, always at all times. <clears throat> Great. So when you, when you were starting out then at that early age as an intern at DC Comics and, and you were working on, as you say, those, those small parts at the back of the, back of the comics, what were you learning on, on the job there? What were the real sort of valuable things that you were, you were picking up um, while doing that role? Well, the, uh, just the, uh, the things that I picked up were uh, just the technical aspects of drawing for comic books. And when I, what I mean by that is I'd never inked before in my life. Right. And uh, it's funny, for some reason, I always associate comics with inking. I don't know why <laughs> that is. It, it's the first thing that comes to my mind. But um, I think it's because inking is, in comic books, excuse me, is the final, it's the final step uh-huh. uh, in the drawing process. And so I always think of like, that's, that's the comic that you're drawing yeah. uh, everything else is uh leading up to that um now of course uh the, really the most important thing is story storytelling but to me i was i was always fascinated by because i was not comfortable with tools when i was younger because i refused to go to <laughs> i re- refused to go to art school so <laughs> therefore you know i had to like go to art stores and and say you know, what does this nib do? What do, what do I do with this and take it home and experiment? So that's, that's primarily what I was learning. Um, it was shortly after I started learning how to ink and I, I really didn't learn how to ink until at least 10 years afterwards, but, um, I was familiarizing myself with the tools, hmm. but, um, it was shortly after that I realized like, Oh, there's, I should concentrate on storytelling. And I remember saying to one of my editors there, 
um, I don't know what storytelling is. And he said something like, well, I can tell you. And I said, well, don't tell me. I said, I want to find out for myself. And every once in a while, every year, I kind of take stock and I realize like, I'm, I'm still learning. I still don't know. There, there are still, there are, I mean, I've been, I have friends who are just amazing storytellers, really, really good storytellers. And to this day, I, um, I struggle with it. I don't, I feel comfortable doing it, but I never, I'm never sure if I'm showing exactly what I want, uh, what's best for the story. Um, so that's, that's like, that's like the everlasting mystery. I feel like uh, if there is a heaven and I get there, I'll learn a lot of things. And one of them is what storytelling is. Mm. Um, but until that day, I'm going to have to keep guessing on what storytelling is. You, I, you know, you, you show it to your friends and you say, do you get it? And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't, but you're never really sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess it, you've worked across multiple genres as well. You know, something, yeah. you know, something like Ren Stimpy compared to Adventures of Batman or anything like that. There's a very different kind of storytelling there. Do you think that's what potentially kind of makes it a little bit difficult sometimes is finding that separation? Or is do you feel like it's quite easy to distinctly tell stories in those ways and, and combat that? Um, for me, um, I don't know. It's all just, it's all just storytelling to me. I, uh, having grown up reading superhero comics, but my heart was really in humor. Um, uh, it was, you know, for me, the, the, the problem with switching between Ren and Stimpy and Batman was, is that I had a sensibility for when I started on Batman and I only did like a handful of storyboards for Batman, Superman and Batman Beyond. Um, I, I had the sensibility of like, I want to see things move left to right because that's how Yogi Bear moves and that's how I like things. And that's how it's clear. And when I got, when I started getting my storyboard roughs back, it'd be like, no, we want things to move towards the camera. We want to tilt the camera up. We want to see how he's walking this way. Um, and I was like, why would you do that? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I just, and I, I also was thinking because I came from random Stimpy of like, well, you know, limited animation this would work best so just let's show his feet mm. and batman's feet and they'd be like no 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 you want to see the whole figure kind of moving like this and i was like well first of all personally i don't think that was animated very ever animated very well it made beautiful storyboards but yeah I, you know to me it was like the, the animation was always kind of crappy um that's why on ren and stimpy like i always thought their animation looked fairly good because like the characters are just doing this, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they were just, they were just walking across screen in a kind of a flat left to right way. And it's very simple and you can control the drawing and it looks good. So, so that was, that was my, I have sensibilities and my sensibilities, despite the fact that I can draw action adventure type characters, um, I always make fun of them. Ultimately, I'm still, there's still a little too, I'm, there's too much mad magazine in my head. <laughs> you struggle to take uh, for me seriously. To, <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't. I love them. Uh, you know, the three greatest cartoon characters of all time to me are Batman, Bugs Bunny, and Popeye. Mm. And I don't distinguish between any of them. You know, I yeah. mean, a lot of people would say, well, Batman's serious, but I, I can't take him seriously. You know, yeah. I mean, um, so it's all just, it, to me, hopefully this answers the question <laughs> ultimately, <laughs> but to me, it's all, it's all just cartoons. Yeah. Everything is just cartoons and cartoons is simply a form of uh, storytelling. Mm. It's simply a form of communication. 
one of the things I'm, I'm seeing a lot at the moment, and I've said to you before that yeah, when I was younger, a lot of the, the things I was watching cartoon-wise was a lot older stuff. And uh, one of the ones that I, I, I mentioned to you last time was called Rhubarb and Custard, which is an old English cartoon. Uh, oh, yeah. Which is, I, didn't look, I, I didn't look that up yet. I will, I will send you a link because it is absolutely Please. crazy. And anyone, anyone that listens to this and knows what Rhubarb and Custard is, like, will just, the, the theme tune will instantly come to their head because it is bonkers. Um, but the other, the other cartoon that I used to see a lot was, was Tom and Jerry and the, the really sort of old Tom and Jerry's. And yeah. the, the animated comedy in Tom and Jerry was, was just completely whack like it was so exaggerated everything was just over the top um and it was insane and i i don't part of me feels like you don't see that so much in in cartoons now you don't see this very um like really stretching the boundaries why do you think that is do you, do you feel like it's it's dipped slightly or do you still feel like that really overly exaggerated physical comedy is is there within within uh younger animators today I, 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 um, that's a good question. I don't think it's there today because I think the sensibilities have changed. I think a physical comedy was prevalent in the early part of the 20th century. Um, that's kind of what you expected out of a com- comedian because it came out of the tradition of the stage and mm. the physical comedy worked well on the stage, uh, particularly broad physical, really big physical comedy. You had to play to the back seats, you know? So, but in the last 60, 70 years, um, you could see this in the history of Hollywood, you know, um, Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin are the reigning Kings of comedy. But as you get to the middle of the century, yeah, you had slapstick. Jerry Lewis did slapstick, but he also had, you know, you got to sound funny and dark like this. And it was <laughs> yeah. suddenly it was like it was changing from, you know, physical beauty to like words. I mean, that happened prevalently in also in the 30s where like screwball comedies came in and, and it was all about talking. And I think, you know, for as physical as our culture still really is, um, a world culture, I guess, um, we we culturally i think we mostly just think in our heads we don't think in our bodies and uh i, I think you know tom and jerry those hanna barbera the directors uh had a sense that physical comedy was still prevalent i don't think physical comedy is as prevalent these days mm. um i think most comedians even kind of uh i don't know it, uh, you know there's it's mostly talking it's it's mostly talking and so that's why um, do, do, do you feel that's where the, the, the differentiation between, you know, Tom and Jerry and Bugs Bunny, say, really step apart because Bugs became that sort of very uh, quick witted comedic character? He wasn't so, you know, obviously there is that element, strong element of, of physical comedy as well, but became that kind of more vocal uh, comedy essence. Do you think that was the, a real defining point then? Yeah, uh, yeah. Bec- um, yeah, Bugs. You know, if you look at the history of Bugs Bunny, like he starts as a, as, a, as I mean, he's Groucho Marx essentially. He's he's the the insult character. You know, so he's always been very verbal. Um, and in fact, the thing that made him huge was the fact that Tex Avery had him say, "What's up, Doc?" Mm-hmm. But um, you know, as he progresses from the '40s into the '50s, you know, he becomes more verbal. Um, it's more about, you know, and that's when Chuck Jones starts describing him as Dorothy Parker and Mark Twain. And it's like, 
I love the literary references, but he's changing from this asshole to this <laughs> literary asshole, you know, and it becomes a, becomes a bit more intellectualized. Now, also what was happening is like, well, animation became uh, more expensive. And so the more you have the character move around, um, you know, the more expensive it is. So let's just have him talk. It's a, it's a lot cheaper. But I do think also that um, I think, you know, we just don't think in terms of uh, physical activity uh, mm. anymore in our, in our cartoon characters, I guess I can say specifically. Um, I don't think the, the younger animators, there's so much personality to those, those animators back then. Um, you know, they were, they were acting, you know, and they were, uh, there was, um, they were bringing their personalities to their acting um, and, you know, they had their certain scenes, they had their certain number of footage that they had to create. And, um, you know, it was all them into it. And today, you know, because we don't actually do the physical act of animating, I think generally in the animation business, um, or at least here in the States, we don't, for the most part, it's all pre-production where everything mm. is storyboards and stuff like that. You know, I think it's easier to live in a theoretic, intellectualized world rather than a, a physical world because you're not actually going to animate the thing anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, uh, I don't remember who said it. It might have been John Falusi, but it might have been someone before that. But if you want, I think it was Chuck Jones, actually. And he said, if you want to know the character, do the walk cycle. Yeah. One of the newer cartoons that I've seen, or shorts, I should say, um, and I used to show this to my students all the time. Um, <laughs> when when i was going through 12 principles was a short from pixar called night and day i don't know if you've seen it before oh, uh it's, yeah. and i and i love that it's depicting you know day and night and it has the elements of 3d obviously as well being from pixar but it has this lovely physical um kind of choreography with it with these between these two characters and when i saw that i was like this is such a perfect way to show the 12 principles of animation and and all of those all of those parts between these two characters and i was like this is this just re it reminded me so much of those earlier um physical comedy pieces that you would see in cartoons um yeah yeah, yeah. i think i think to a degree uh, you know a lot of that is because pixar do they animate their own stuff um, you know, and I, and I will say, you know, there, there are still some people who are great. Uh, you know, my, my friend, uh, who's now since passed, my friend, Chris Riccardi, you know, um, I knew him from Ren and Stimpy and, you know, he would think of amazing physical things, mm. um, for the, for Ren and Stimpy to do. Um, Ren and Stimpy were intellectualized characters, but they were also physical characters. And, and just one of the funniest things I ever saw in a cartoon was, Chris had a, had Ren holding a wooden spoon in a kind of a threatening way. And he's running around with it. And, um, and I was like, where did you get that Chris? And he was like, Oh, this kid, I know he's used to threaten us with a wooden spoon <laughs> or something like that. And it was like, it was still so hilariously funny yeah. uh, to me. So there still is physical uh, comedy in cartoons, but I think, you know, I think our go-to in, in everything is to intellectualize. Hmm. Uh, things in our culture now so something that's really interested me is your switch from comic books to animation obviously i know you still work on comic books and create comic strips but working on something which is static how did you then find a transition into something animated uh, to me the biggest thing is um you know uh, coming from comic 
comic books, which is a form of illustration. It's not illustration, I don't think. A lot of people think it is, but it's a form of illustration. It's got illustration in it, inherent in it. Um, and But I came from comic books, and I, to me, you know, everything is that ink drawing. Everything is that fin finished drawing. And every panel should look as good as the last panel. And every, you know, every future panel should look as good as, you know, the panel you're working on. And so when I was storyboarding, I, you know, I, I had a reputation as a good storyboard artist. And I think that's baloney um, because I, I don't think I was a very good storyboard artist. But I think what what people were re reacting to, what they were responding to, was that I, dr I draw pleasingly. Um, and uh, I did pleasing looking storyboards and that, that seemed to make people like them a lot. And um, to me, it's because I came from comic books and things should look pleasant. Mm. <laughs> things, should look, things should look like they're a good drawing at right. all time. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a clean drawing. It doesn't necessarily mean it's an ink drawing. It just means that it's a good, strong drawing. Com in terms and of composition. In terms of composition, in terms of uh, everything, anatomy, um, you know, everything should look solid. Um, and I said this to a producer um, last week who was uh, generously trying to give me some work cleaning up some storyboards. And I said, well, I, I'd done that on the production a few years ago. I'm happy to do it. I work in, Photosh uh, I work in Photoshop, if that's okay with you. And I, I knew she wouldn't say that was okay because she said, well, we work in Toon Boom. We work in Storyboard Pro. Mm -hmm. And I knew that was going to come. And I said, well, thank you for offering me that. I don't work in Storyboard Pro because it's a shitty drawing program. <laughs> but, but, you know, best of luck to you. And um, I stopped being a storyboard artist because Storyboard Pro came in and I couldn't figure out how to draw in it. Mm. I'd drawn in a lot of other programs. I'd drawn in Flash. Um, you know, I shouldn't say a lot of other programs. I've drawn in a few other <laughs> programs. And I've drawn, I, I've drawn in a couple different ways. And to me, if I can't draw well in storyboarding, I can't storyboard. And so, and it started to be um, integral to storyboarding. I understand why um, I still don't like the program, um, and at that it was I was fortunate in that at that point I'd always been a character designer because that's what you had to be. Mm. And Ren and Stimpy was my first job in animation, and and you were if you were storyboard artist you were you were character designer as well, and so I was always designing characters, and um, at that point uh, there's been a lot of fortunate happenstances in my career. But at that point, it was again, Nikita Tartakovsky called me up and said, I need a character designer. Do you want to do it? And then, and then I was a character designer for, wow. for full time. And, you know, I think it's a perfect job for me because like I said, I'm always interested in the final look. Um, I want a final drawing and in character design, that's the only way you can actually kind of control the final look. Do you find there is a big difference then between drawing something full static and drawing something for video? You, you, you notice that you're really, you're composing a, a frame a lot differently or you're, you're positioning a character a lot differently. Um, I don't think, uh, not really. No, I don't think so. Uh, um, well, to a degree, you know, with, with, with comic books, part of, part of my, learning curve with comic books was um 
that I drew for the drawing and I didn't draw for the comic book. And that means that uh, particularly back when I wasn't, I had nothing to do with the dialogue, you know, um, I would draw and somebody would write the, the dialogue um, and then the dialogue would be pasted on top of my drawing. And I'd be like, where, where'd that guy's head go? Mm. You know, and it's because I wasn't thinking at all about dialogue uh, or how to compose for a comics panel, which means there's going to be dialogue in it. And if there's no dialogue, you can compose wherever you like. But uh, if there's if there's going to be dialogue, you have to compose for the dialogue. Yeah, yeah. Um, most important, most importantly. And so, you know, in in animation, you're, bas- you're basically just looking for a really good shot. What's the most um, attractive shot that tells the story best? In comics, you're looking for that too, but your space is finite and um, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. You have to figure out if you want the next page to start with this and you want this to happen on the page you're already working on, you've got to figure out <laughs> what the best what's best way in the space that you have to do it is. Uh, so It makes um, a lot of sense, actually. The difference between dialogue and action is, is going to be your real defining defining point of where you position characters and and how how you compose a scene i guess we've we've spoken a little bit about you know your way of composing structuring characters and, and physical comedy you've worked a lot with um very well established characters uh woody woodpecker obviously and and popeye and and what i want to know is really how do you approach drawing that character you know someone who's already got a history someone's already got an arc how do you how do you approach drawing that character knowing that someone else has has done it before um to me it's 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 perfect that somebody else has done it before (laughs) there's there's less there's less brain work part of the way i did learn to draw part of my education was to emulate my favorite artists Mm. and so you know you look at their drawing and you pick certain elements that really attract you and the things that you can intellectualize and understand and you can make your hand do. So, so with Popeye, um, with, um, with Bugs Bunny, with Mickey Mouse, with Woody Woodpecker, I know those characters pretty well. And I know my favorite version of those characters. Mm. And so I would, um, it's a very unconscious, practice but i would go into the filing cabinets in my head and i would think this is my favorite popeye and i would um again unconsciously will my hands to and my brain to figure out what that looked like Mm. on paper the same with mickey mouse um it's funny the the mickey mouse mickey shorts that i worked on maybe 10 years ago at this point um for disney uh, I had a long history by that point of drawing Mickey Mouse and I knew what my favorite Mickey Mouse was and I and Mickey Shorts is still to a degree going and I look at some of what it looks like now and I'm like I was drawing Floyd Gofferson's Mickey Mouse I don't know what else, what they're doing like I, I must have been doing it wrong you know, it doesn't look anything like the Aviworks Mickey anymore um, so um, you know but that's what I was going to in my head I mean I was Paul, Paul Rudish let me do that is, so is this where yeah. they'd gone sorry is this where they'd gone sort of very traditional Mickey Mouse, very sort of 2D, sort of flattened the character? Was this, was this yeah. in Mickey Mouse Shorts? Yeah, Mickey, Mickey Shorts was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a production out of Disney um, about 10 years ago. Paul Rudish was the producer and um, he wanted to go back to 
the very flat, um, the, the uh, what they call the pie eye Mickey, which mm. is him in the red shorts with the little yellow buttons. And so Paul updated it to a degree. Actually, those are some very good physical cartoons too. And um, and he put it in his own style to a degree. And he pulled from Abai Works and and those guys that he. Uh, liked best and at the time I needed a job and I have to be visiting Los Angeles and and I entered into his office and I was like I drew Mickey (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I don't know if you knew that but I've been drawing Mickey since I was 23 and he's like oh yeah and so then I got I got to draw I got to work on that why production um yeah um so and I I had a certain idea of what that Mickey looks like and I could still um, you know, I could see where, I mean, you always know what you, your scenes are anyway, but I'm mm. like, I designed that. I designed that. I designed Why? that. You know, somebody else designed that. Somebody else designed that. I designed that, you know. With, with that Mickey then, was there, was there restrictions to the, the posing and the things? Was, were you having to discover that character's anatomy yourself or were you implying your own personality onto that? Um... It's it's a little of both. I you know I had I came with preconceived notions about how to construct Mickey, but I wasn't too far off from what Paul Rudish was doing, and um, I just had to re-educate myself about okay, this is the Mickey Mouse that I know, this is the Mickey Mouse that I've drawn, and this is what Paul's Mickey is, mm. and so I kind of have to figure out where the middle was, and you know Paul's one of those. One of my favorite kind of producers who says at nearly everything I do, that's great. Um, I don't <laughs> like the other kind of producer so much. But but Paul, Paul, um, you know, there were a few instances where it's like, well, it's not that, it's this, and kind of try and do this. But for the most part, you know, I, I was drawing what I, I considered a fairly traditional Mickey Mouse, but in Paul, uh, sort of in Paul's hand, Um uh, whereas I don't think that's quite what the model actually was, mm. but, um, but I was, I was just fortunate that I got to do, uh, mostly what I thought worked, uh, yeah. in my own, in my own kind of style within that style. And, and working so. with, with other characters then that are, are predefined, how do you establish a personality through the posing and, and, and through those elements? Um, for, for other characters, well, I can tell you for, I was the Popeye, the sailor licensing artist for 30 years for King features licensing, which means anytime, I think to this day still, if, if, uh, it ended about three or four years ago, but anyway, um, anytime you see a t-shirt or a mug or something like that, uh, with Popeye on it, likely it's my drawing. (laughs) So... But for a long time, you know, you could tell it's me. If you see it, it's just probably me. But how many <laughs> how many people like? do you think how many people do you think or how many do you think there are tattoos in the world of Popeye which are your drawings that someone I've seen them. I've seen them because I can definitely <laughs> know me. that people have that tattoo, and it will be that must be quite a strange sort of thing. No, it's it's kind of cool. I mean, I did my own. I'm not going to show you my arm, but yeah. <laughs> you know, I actually did my, my my own. It's not Popeye, but it's Popeye based. But anyway, um, yeah. So I think it's cool when 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 people do that. Uh, and I, you know, I what bugs me a little bit is when people like sort of uh, adapt my drawings and say, 
you know, try and sell them on eBay. Like yeah. this is my Popeye drawing. And it's like, well, that's my Popeye drawing, but with your hand, but I don't really get terribly mad because, you know, I, I, I don't own the character. I, I did, mm. I was paid to do that and I forfeited my rights to that, to that drawing. So it's, it's totally fine. But with Popeye early on, you know, I, you could tell it was mine um, because I always put the wrong hat on Popeye and nobody stopped me. Um, oh. By that point, he should have been wearing the captain's hat, and I always put this little sailor cap on him, and I, nobody stopped me. Um, then after a while, the, the style changed, and I, I was after that, you could tell it's mine because it's very kind of uh, um, it's very Fleischery. Let's put it that way. Mm. Max Fleischer Studios. So looking at you know each character that is predefined has a a distinct personality we've mentioned obviously bugs bunny and um being a bit of an ass as you say like yeah, uh, yeah how do you how do you establish that personality within the drawing itself um I, you know that goes back to acting um you know you are uh inhabiting that character um you bring all the tools of an actor to that character you're acting as that character but you're acting as yourself at the same time and um because it's you and Mm. so you're trying to be that character and uh that's the best way i can put it you just um uh you know put on your thinking cap and you you figure out like what how bugs bunny acts yeah um and how popeye acts and um you you pose them uh in the appropriate manner um uh, Woody Woodpecker was pretty much the same as Bugs Bunny, but he had a different build. So mm. you had to, uh, you had to, uh, you know, accommodate for his build. Um, Mickey Mouse is not anything like the, those other characters, but, um, you know, uh, again, you just think of who, you know, Mickey to be and you act, act accordingly. Now, speaking of that, obviously, you do have your own characters that you've created and you've created your own comic graphic novel. Did you want to tell us a little bit about that and, and what it is? I know it's been out for a little while and you're, you're currently working on your the next chapter. Uh, did you want to tell us a little yes. bit about that? Well, Lucky in Love, um, the, the, the name of my graphic novel is Lucky in Love. Um, it's been out, book one has been out since 2010, which is a long time ago. Um, book two was supposed to come out in three years after that. Uh, it actually says in the back of the book, it says book two will be out in 2013. (laughs) Um, we're not obviously in 2013 anymore and I'm still working on the book. A lot of things, life intervened and a lot of things happened for me, um, after the publication of uh, the first book. But anyway, to get to the, the actual book itself, um, Lucky in Love was something, it's probably the most me that you'll ever see, um, uh, on the page. Uh, it's all my influences converging. So, uh, hopefully you won't say, oh, he's doing so-and-so here. You'll say like, wow, Steven's really doing himself. Um, it's a story, um, loose basely on my, very, very basely. It's a, fic- it's a fixi- fictitious, fictitious story based on my family. Uh, life and uh, my life growing up as an Italian American in uh, the East Coast of, New- of uh, the United States, um, and uh, it's something I always wanted to do. I can remember uh, decades ago saying to a friend that I wanted to do. I wanted to do 
a tragedy, but that it looked like Dagwood and Blondie, um, that it should look like, you know, a humor, big footed classic comic strip. Mm. Cause I thought, um, I don't know why that, that, that entertained me, that idea. I thought that was, that could work. And I remember, I knew I hit, hit pay dirt cause I was talking to uh, my friend, David DeMazzichelli. And I said, you know, like, that's what I want to do. And he's like, comics does that great <laughs> and david's like really you know he understands the mechanics of comics better than just about anybody i know personally and i'm like oh i must have hit pay dirt there that sounds like a thing i could do so with um with with lucky in love that's what it that's what it is it it's funny but it's a it's a tr- it's a tragedy and um it's drawn in a funny way um, and, you know, I'm using all my skills as a, my meager skills to a degree as a storyteller, but my degrees as a character designer and, a, and, a, and an actor uh, as a cartoonist, uh, to get, uh, the story across. And it turned out to be something that, um, you know, that was, that's, if you want to know what Stephen DiStefano does now, I'm most famous, famous, I'm, I'm most well-known for my work in animation and my ability to draw Popeye and my ability to adapt to a lot of other people's styles, but, and people know me for that. But if you really want to know what I do, um, or what's going on in my head, I would say, uh, it's probably lucky in love. Perfect. And is you're working on the second one at the moment. I'm working on the second one at the moment. I swear to Christ, I am. Um, <laughs> and I'm making good progress. Um, <laughs> well, um, why we why um, we eagerly await the second one? Where 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 can you get hold of the first one? Um, it should be on uh, it should be on Amazon. I, I think the last time I checked it, it was on Amazon. If you go to, it was published by Fantagraphics uh, Press here in the states, um, and it. Um, uh, it should still be on their website as something that's available to buy. I can't, I'm pretty sure they didn't sell out of it. I know they didn't do very well with it. If you read French, you can go, um, you can, it's, it has been published in French. It did uh, a lot better in France, I think, than it did here. Uh, uh, and it's uh, published by um, Saela um, uh, in, in, in France. And um it's, uh, I hope it works in French. I don't know, but, uh, I have gone to, uh, Angoulême and, and, uh, sold the book there and I seem to have done pretty well there. So, um, but it's, it's available. And if you're in New York city, if you go to the strand, which is book book, famous bookstore here in New York city, it, uh, it's almost always there. Cause nobody really wants to hold on to it, I suppose. But, but, uh, well, that's I'm about to change. <laughs> they, they'll, yeah, they'll well, be we'll out hopefully. constantly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's good. I like I like that. Positivity. Like that. We've got this. It's gonna go. Flying off the shelves all of a sudden. Abs absolutely. <laughs> Brilliant. Well that that brings me up to a, a rounded end here. So I just want to say a big thank you for, for coming on the show and, and talking all about character. Um and yeah your work it's it's been absolutely brilliant and i'm very happy to have you for my 10th episode so thank you very oh, much for the oh, time man. oh i'm very proud to be i'm proud to be uh here speaking with you but i'm i'm particularly proud to be the 10th episode the 10th episode happy, i know happy 10th anniversary <laughs> anniversary podversary whatever anniversary we'll call it that it's nice yeah. it's, it's, it's like an arc i started with cheryl who's at disney and now finishing with you who's worked at disney as well so i'm, <laughs> I'm very happy to have that nice right. that nice loop there it's good <laughs> 
nice rounded kind of perfect circle. <laughs> it oh, is God. indeed. That's... Well, thanks so much. Sorry. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you. Nice to speak with you. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you've enjoyed. If you've only just now discovered the Lounge Podcast, please do subscribe to keep up to date with our latest episodes. And while you're here, why not have a listen back through some of our older episodes? We've got some great guests from all different walks of the creative life. Thank you for listening, and I hope you join me again soon. Mm.